ever stop and think why spend too much time just getting ready let me be honest i don't know one single thing that i haven't done to make you notice me let me be real here when i see you my heart starts racing but i don't know if i like this chasing and playing and waiting around it's a shame that my hands start shaking all of the time when you're around me but this time this time girl i know what's bothering me Today is November 6, 2020, Friday of the 31st week in Ordinary Time, and you are tuned in to Deacon's Discussions Drinks. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Deacon's Discussions and Drinks. I'm Deacon Tim Stout. I'm Deacon Dallas Kelly. And Father Lynn Wynn is taking a medical absence tonight. So, nothing major, just uh, he's he's off. Right? Yes. Hello, Dallas, you there? Check, check, Roger. We're back in the studio tonight after being off last weekend. Much needed rest, restful weekend after being outside in that nice fall cold weather out there on the uh, the outside steps of uh, Cardone. That was a pretty good time, wasn't it, Dallas? Absolutely. Cold and... Uh, cold had a, and... Had a fire going. Had and a, people gave away a lot of money. Gave away a bunch of money. Gave away... Uh, some money to the guy who's on the finance committee. I never did hear if he donated that back in. Bill Viney, if you're listening, don't forget, 10% goes to the church. <laughs> hey, tonight we got a special guest going to join us via Zoom. You guys have probably heard his name before if you're from, living in the Diocese of Lexington or been around St. Francis and John very long, Mr. Mike Allen, the Director of Family Life and Evangelization for the Diocese of Lexington. He's going to join us at the top of the hour. Uh, should be a great discussion if you haven't heard Mike's story before or heard him talk about his ministry. Um, it's a good guy to talk to, isn't he, Dallas? Very much so. I think the first time I heard his story was uh, he was at our church for something. I can't remember what it was, but he was, I remember him getting up there and talking about. Yeah, he actually told his whole uh, conversion story. It was, yeah, but I think it was during a mass. So pretty, pretty powerful. Uh, I'm excited about that. So, but let's just, let's just jump into current events. Is there anything going on in the world right now? Not a thing. No controversy. No nothing. Everything's just hunky dory. Just uh, getting getting back to normal life. 
you know, COVID, elections, I really think that most people have lost their minds. You know what I mean? And here's, I'm going to give, this is my current event. This is my explanation of what is happening with the election. And it's, it's kind of, as a, in my opinion, it's kind of as a result of, of COVID as well. But we have lost all sense of civility, decency, respect for the office of the president and for politicians in general. And the reason I think that we've lost that is because all of our politicians have lost it for each other. Right. You with me when I say that? So none of the politicians treat each other with respect. So we're starting now to emulate the politicians and we're starting to not treat the politicians with any respect as well. So the offices that we used to hold near and dear, they don't mean anything to us anymore. And now what is starting to happen is since we treat people that we used to respect in that way, now we're starting to treat each other that way. Have you noticed that on social media? No, just leave me alone. No. <laughs> Have you noticed it on social media? I've seen people on social media that I think are the nicest people going at it with people. And this this isn't just church thing. This is, you know, people I ride bikes with. It's people I've socialized with. It's people I've worked with. I mean, it's all over the world, all over the board. People are just tense. I've always said that with social media. Every thought that pops into your head does not have to be put down and wrote out and push, push, send. I don't need to know, and I shouldn't need to know, every thought you're thinking. That's a good point. And that, that's probably part of it. And, you know, the thing that I've tried to do with this uh, this election is just take a deep breath. Posted it as a my status, status update the other day. Just take a deep breath and let it play out, you know. If there's cheating on one side, there's cheating on the other side. This is like a reverse, complete reversal of what happened in 2000, right? We had a, we have a standing vice, we had, we have a former vice president running, running for office in 2000. He lost by the narrowest of uh, margins and it took to December, the middle of December before he conceded. Now we have a former vice president that's probably going to win and it's going to take the standing president probably to the middle of December to concede. So let's just everybody take a deep breath, sit back, relax. And the hanging Chad, do you remember that? I do remember that. Just treat each other nice, right? Just treat each other nice. We love each other. Love each other. It's that simple. That's my current event. How about you? What's your current event? That was your homily last week, time too. <laughs> love, love everybody. That's a good. Uh, it's a good position to take. My current event. This is from Catholic News Agency. Um, and the only reason I bring it up, I don't mean, I don't mean it is. Uh, it's funny because it's not funny. It's just something I've never ever heard before. Is a um, the Catholic Diocese of Fresno has taken out a restraining order against a priest, <laughs> and that's what caught my eye. Uh, I mean, you hear priest in the news a lot, but I've never heard of restraining order. And they lost and launched an investigation on him after he was accused of drug use, physical abuse, threatening behavior. And linked to gang member, gangs, Bishop Joseph Brenham of Fresno at Mass last night. He is not allowed on the property, and on and on and on. I've never heard that's a, crazy. A priest getting a restraining order. Do you think that's related to COVID? As in, well, I mean, you know, COVID is causing us to do different things. We're forgetting how to 
interact with people because we're not around people, right? We're restricted. You know, there's uh, at, at one of the one of the one of our customers. They used to have a place where all the operators could get get together. It's an industrial setting, and they could sit there and talk and you know have lunch together. Now, now everybody is isolated. They can never be. They got about 15, 16 employees. They can never be in the same room together. And they're, they're, they're it's the pod word. They're, they're putting people in pods. So they're not, they don't interact with anybody. So all day long, they sit in front of a computer or a terminal or a control station and they do their job. They eat lunch by themselves and then they go home. Where's that at? At one of our customers. So, but that's happened in a lot of places, right? We were, we were restricting our interaction. We're not interact, even, you know, even us at Mass, right? I mean, at the end of Mass, it used to be that we would sh- shake everybody's hand and tell everybody hi and, somebody had a problem or something, they talked to us. We would commune with them. We would communicate with them. We would be in community with them. And that's just not happening anymore. And I think that we're forgetting how to interact with people. That's my theory. But we're also uh, not allowed. <laughs> okay. Mass is over. Supposed to leave the parking lot. That's true. I'm just, I'm just saying that the COVID is having a lot more, uh, a lot more issues than I than I think we we acknowledge. Can't get my microphone right today, Steve. I sound okay over there. So, so that's your current event. Yes. Anything else going on in the world? Well, I mean, you know, since the last time we uh, we were on, the Dodgers won a World Series. I didn't know that. I didn't. I watched that baseball is one thing I did watch a lot of this uh like baseball. The Reds did halfway decent. Of course it was it was a sixty game season too, <laughs> but they didn't play a hundred and eighty it was sixty two games. I think it was something like that. Yeah. Hundred and sixty two games. Well, I mean, you know, the Dodgers they were they were due. They were way, way overdue. And yeah, I, when I heard the last I didn't realize that. I thought they had won it since then. They've been in the series, though, right? Oh, well, the last, yeah. yeah, they've been in the World Series three or four times over the last uh, four or five years. So, no, it was, uh, they were due. And uh, I'm glad they got their monkey off their bike. So, that's why I'm wearing my Dodger blue tonight. Uh, go go Dodgers. And uh, I'm trying to think, what else, anything else happened? Well, I don't know. I wonder if Mike Allen's a Dodger fan. He's probably a Dodger fan. Uh, I've seen him at many Reds game. I know he's a Reds fan. I think he's a Reds fan. Okay, well, we'll find out here in just a just a couple minutes. Uh, what else is going on? COVID, election, Dodgers winning the World Series. There's one other thing that's kind of big going on right now. What do you think that is? I don't know. What is it? I don't know. I'm asking you. It's hunting season, Dallas. Come on. Hunting season. Yeah, I, I've been hunting and fishing. I went fishing today and – Boat broke down. You broke your new boat. No, I didn't break it. It wouldn't start. It wouldn't. The electrical issue wouldn't turn over. Nothing. It totally blank. Getting off the trailer or when I you was were out? In, I was way. Out. I had to get towed. Had to stop so I didn't get towed. Me. Brand Man, brand new boat. That's now. Us. It's not a, a motor issue. It's something's not. You know, a fuse blew or something. It's not making any contact in the ignition. So the, there's your fishing report for the week. So yeah. so if uh, Jason Barry's listening, and he didn't get out on the he got out on the water, but his boat broke down. And I was hoping to hear because I went scouting with you for the big game yeah, deer. Uh, Mister Deacon Tim, 
Well, he went walking in the woods. And uh, <laughs> I'd like to tell that story to somebody because I said, Dallas, how is retirement? And I love your quote when I ask you that question. So I'll just ask you, Dallas, how's retirement? I don't want <laughs> It's, it doesn't suck. It doesn't suck. So I agree with you. I can't wait till I experience it. I, yeah, I experienced I get, I get it for 12 hours. An old, an old author, Arthur movie, Dudley Moore. Dudley Moore. All right. Well, I think our guest is here. So without further ado, I'll do a little brief intro here. Mike, can you hear us okay? Yes. Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Coming in great. So if you can hear us, we can hear you. That's good. Mr. Mike Allen, for the past 15 years, has been the Director of Family Life and Evangelization for the Diocese of Lexington. He also teaches at Lexington Catholic High School. And before he and his family entered the Catholic Church, Mike was a United Methodist pastor and youth minister for over 15 years. That's 30 right there, if I've got that calculation right. <laughs> <laughs> before he and his wife Angie found themselves... Before they saw the light and came to the Catholic faith, drawn to the Catholic faith, I think is the word he used. They've been married for 32 years, have seven children, wow, ages 15 to 28, and a four-month-old granddaughter. We'll talk about grandkids, Mike, because I got two, too, that are both young. Uh, Mike, and Mike is also a Lexington native, so welcome to the show, Mike, Mr. Mike Allen. And, oh, thanks. And a Dodger fan, right? And a Dodger fan. No, you know, my, uh, I've been on a journey with the Dodgers um, because back in the 70s and 80s, I, I hated the Dodgers because <laughs> I was a Reds fan and they were in the NL West together, which made no sense, Cincinnati and the National League West, but that's what it was. And so, uh, you know, those teams with, you may not be old enough to remember, Tim, Steve Garvey. Oh, and, yes. Uh, Davey Lopes. Bonse. I can, oh, yeah. man, I, I, I despised those guys. And, uh, <laughs> Steve Garvey, <laughs> Davey Lopes, Bill Russell, Ron Say, and Jaeger behind the plate. I can't tell you who the outfield was because that's where they changed everybody up. But Dusty Baker. Yeah, Dusty uh, Baker. Yeah, big Rick time. Rick Monday, Reggie Smith. You know. How do you really feel about him, Mike? <laughs> well, and then, and then of course, uh, when they switch divisions, now it's the Cardinals that I despise, and and on a, maybe just below them, the Braves. But I have a, a a good friend that I grew up with in church youth group and stuff, and who's Walker Bueller's mother. Oh wow! And so uh, I was pulling pulling for him a little bit, yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, last year after after he had a good showing in the in the postseason as well. You know, there was a good quote from uh, Tommy Lasorda that said, "said Walker, you're going to be a Dodger for a long time." <laughs> so he uh, he makes it look effortless, and uh, he, he he reminds me a little bit. He's just a tiny bit bigger, but it reminds me a little bit of Oral Hershiser. Yeah, good same build, right? Just lean, mm-hmm. thin. Uh, also, another uh, Kentucky connection for the Dodgers, uh, Will Smith. I uh, played at the University of Louisville, so oh, uh, well, we won't hold that against him. We won't, but. Uh, I think his future. I think his future is pretty good for a for a catcher. He hits pretty good for a catcher, and uh, you know they didn't go to him towards the end of the series. They put him in the DH instead of behind the plate. But uh, well, congratulations. I know it's been a long time coming for the Dodgers, and uh, hard to believe a great franchise like that had been on a thirty two year drought. And maybe, that's crazy. Maybe man. the Reds will. You know, Reds uh, won it in ninety, so maybe there's going to be some symmetry there. We can hope. We can hope. Dallas said they had a good year this year for a 60, 60 yeah. game season. The Reds, they were above 500, right? Barely. Yeah. They, they <laughs> but it was only 60 games, I think. And they yeah. scored, what, two runs in how many games? 
Well, they scored zero runs in the playoffs. Oh, that's right. So. Zero. That's right. Zero. Yeah. They went that extra inning game too, yeah. right? And it was, yeah, that's what it was. It was a, I was saying zero runs and a, and a lot more innings, but even though it wasn't that many games. Well, that's a lot about baseball. We could talk baseball all night long because the Dodgers won the World Series. So. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Some great games, though. I did, I did enjoy the whole postseason. I think the post. It'll be interesting if they keep this this lineup right the way they've got this structured. Um, I the one thing I don't like about it is I don't like the three game series to start because if somebody gets hot, you can get busted out real oh, quick. Oh yeah, no 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 question. So maybe that that'll be what triggers the Reds into the World Series. I, I pull for the Reds. We've been to Dallas and I've been Many to a few Reds, Reds games. games. Yeah. Steve's you, you don't see Steve behind the cameras over here, but he's a big time Reds fan, big time Bengals fan. He's he's had a lot of heartache in his life. So. <laughs> but Mike, let's let's talk a little bit about. You want to talk about you, or you want to talk about your ministry first? What do you think? Uh, doesn't matter. What's uh, what's it like coming from the Methodist Church to Catholicism? I mean, I've, I've heard your story. You came to our church. Gosh, it seems like ten or ten or eleven years ago, and told your whole story up at the pulpit. I forget what that, I don't know if that was a mission or if you what what you were there for, but. I was amazed at your story. I mean, it's a it's a great great story. Can you can you kind of tell us how how a guy goes fifteen years as a Methodist minister and converts to Catholicism? Yeah, I mean, and everybody's journey is different, of course. But mine went down a, a path that started with curiosity, um, not ever thinking it would go anywhere. Uh, you know, I I grew up in in Lexington and. Um, Went to Baptist churches when I was really little, and then in high school got involved in the Methodist church, really active youth group, and that really had a profound impact on my life. And then when I graduated college, the University of Kentucky, go Cats, uh, I, even though I was an engineering major and then graduated with an engineering degree. That's two of us. I ended up, uh, I ended up going to Asbury Seminary because I, I felt I called a full-time Christian ministry. Uh, and, you know, I wasn't really anti-Catholic. I just was largely ignorant of Catholicism. Um, now, my grandmother, she was anti-Catholic. Um, <laughs> she, she, was, she was from rural um, Wolf County, Halichiwa, Kentucky. I don't, I don't <clears> even <throat> know where that – where is that at, Wolf County? Uh, Wolf County is like, you know, next to Morgan County, uh, West Liberty. Okay. Uh, Wolf, Wolf County is Campton. You've ever camped well, my daughter lives uh, in Moorhead, so I've I've seen it's it's, it's out the Mountain Parkway. You'll okay. go right through Wolf County, and she was a little t- from a town called Halichiwa, and the legend was they called it Halichiwa because there were two ways to get there, and it was hell each way. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she uh, she called Catholics cat lickers. I remember it very well. Um, so I was pretty n- ignorant of the Catholic faith. Uh, you know, even as a Christian pastor, but I was, like I said, I, I had some vague perceptions about the Catholic faith, but not enough to worry about. And it was just largely irrelevant to my life. And when I was, uh, uh, it was interesting. I had a class when I came back to school to, to Asbury to, to get, uh, uh, work on a doctorate degree. I had a preaching professor who gave us a list of novels. He said, Chick, pick one of those novels and read it and write a paper on how the themes in that novel might be used in preaching. And uh, I just I saw one novel that a friend of mine had 
referenced a, a philosophy professor that I knew, um, and it was by Graham Greene, who was a British author, Catholic, not exactly a poster boy of Catholic sainthood, but his novels, which I read several of them because they were so good, uh, and he had a very his his books were just haunted with Catholic imagery and uh, vivid descriptions of the mass and, and so forth. And uh, it, it's interesting how conversion sometimes happens because if, if I had picked up a book that said why you should become a Catholic, I would have had my, my arguments marshaled and my defenses up and, you know, I'd be ready to take on the challenge, but because it was art literature it snuck in a side door and it just piqued a little curiosity in me. And over the no next, I don't know, probably five or six years, I just gradually, I, I would have a question about, oh, why, why do Catholics believe that? Or why do they do that? Or, you know, I discovered that um, my perceptions of the Catholic faith were not always accurate. Were you, were or, you, were you discovering all this on your own or was, was somebody leading you in that direction were you able who were you asking these questions or were you just researching and, yeah. researching was, yes. was you getting answers from non-catholics or catholic no material, i was really mainly catholic material um and it was it was in many ways an individual personal journey i, I didn't have many catholic friends i i didn't really consult with anybody i was just you know i i uh i had also begun subscribing to a journal called first things um that was uh, not technically a catholic journal but there were a lot of catholic writers a guy father richard john newhouse of blessed memory he was a yeah, former he, he's Lutheran. fantastic i remember him yeah he was a former yes um he was a lutheran pastor who became catholic and so forth. So, but you know, I, so I would have these little, I, I describe it, I'd, ha, I'd have these little epiphanies along the way, like, oh, that's why Catholics do that. Or, oh, I was wrong about what Catholics believe about this. Or, oh, that's the biblical passage that Catholics use to um, undergird that teaching and so forth. And so I was having these little, you know, light bulb moments along the way. And I was found myself not just curious, but then started see some something attractive about the Catholic faith. And, um, you know, I would even find myself defending the Catholic faith in discussions with non-Catholics, you know, like, uh, even though, you know, of course, I, I wasn't going to become Catholic in my mind, but <laughs> I wanted people to have a fair picture. You, know? you were being, and, a, uh, you were being an apologist already. <laughs> yeah, in, in many ways. And so and th there came a point Probably around April of 2004, um, there were a couple of books that I read. It's in which those, all those um, light bulbs kind of came together, and I saw this. Just I would describe it as the panoramic um, beauty of the Catholic faith, and I realized that I was no longer just curious or attracted that. I believed it, you know, which provoked a crisis because this I was we were living in a Methodist parsonage. We had <laughs> six kids, you know. Um, it was like, what? What are we going to do? What, 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 you know. And then my was, wife was Angie on this journey with you, or were you know? 
I mean, obviously, we were, we were, were had to be communicating something to her along the way. Yeah, we had, you know, six kids, 11 and under, so deep theological conversations were not uh, commonplace. <laughs> Didn't happen at the dinner table then. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, she would get in the car and turn on the radio, and it was tuned to the Catholic station or something, you know, so it kind of raised her an eyebrow. And um, she knew that I was having this interior kind of, you know, that I was on this journey and, but, um, but what happened is just, you know, I, I'd actually prayed to God about it and said, you know, God, if, if this is, if you wanting me to become Catholic, then you're going to have to convince my wife because I, I can't do that. And, you know, I thought I would, I'd kind of take, taken the monkey off my back because, you know, then I just would tr- entrust it to God and, you know, funny thing happens when you do that because she began to pick up some of these books that I had lying around the house just on her own and started reading them. And then she found herself on the same journey. And then we're both, I just can remember there that summer of Oh four, we would just lie there uh, at night and, and it felt like a, like a, like there was a 50 pound rock on our chest. It was just like, we felt this just overwhelming sense of call, you know, and um, what are we going to do with this and so forth. And so the rest, as they say, is kind of history, really. 2004, it happened then. Well, we entered the church in, in, in actually in August of 2005. Um, Which parish? Because uh, Mary Queen of the Holy Rosary. Because we, um, you know, in the Methodist church, there's some actually, you know, Methodism is sort of a, uh, I, I would explain it this way. Methodism began as a renewal movement within Anglicanism or the Episcopal Church or, you know, the, the Church of England. So in, in some ways, Methodism is to Anglicanism what Anglicanism is to Catholicism. So, you know, in Methodist Church, you have a bishop, and uh, as pastors, we were appointed by a bishop to a congregation. Um, and typically in that Methodist church, it is very similar to in our own diocese where, you know, you have your appointment has to either be renewed every year or you might be moved to a different church. And so I, I knew sometime in the around November, December of 04 that this was going to have to be our last year as, uh, in, in, in Methodist ministry. And, um, wasn't there a time I remember, if I remember your story right, where uh, you told you told your wife Angie that can't we just think? Mm-hmm. Can we just think we're Catholic instead of <laughs> instead of yeah. actually going over? You know, yeah, or, I know. And the Eucharist draw her in or drew her in or something. Yeah, I started having uh, cold feet, you know, and just re- uh, recognizing how scary it was and. um my wife has always been a person with a uh, stronger faith than me. Uh, and so I told her, you know, maybe we can just forget this whole thing. I remember it was a Saturday morning because we had gotten into the habit of, we, we lived just in the shadow of Christ, the King, the cathedral. I, I think that there was some sort of gamma rays coming out of the, the, the cathedral <laughs> drawing us in, but we'd gotten in the habit of individually because our kids were all so young sneaking into a daily mass over at uh, the cathedral 
And, uh, you know, we, we, we'd have this habit of sneaking in late, sitting in the back and then slipping out early, which turned out to be a good, good practice for actually being Catholic. <laughs> you passed the test. <laughs> <laughs> so she was leaving. A, it was a Saturday morning and I was sitting there drinking a cup of coffee and she was walking out the door and I said, Angie, maybe we, we don't have to do that. Uh, this, maybe we can just appreciate the Catholic church from a distance and uh, be, be content with that. And I'll never forget, uh, thanks for reminding me, Dallas uh, Deacon, uh, she, she had her back to me and she, it felt like, gosh, two minutes, but it was probably 10 seconds. And then she turned around and her eyes were welding up with tears. And she said, all of my life, I've wanted, wanted it to be true that it is the body and blood of, of Jesus Christ. And, and I never let myself believe it before. She said, I, I have to do this. And so I, at that point, I knew I was in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> you had hit the point. You had hit the point of no return at that point. <laughs> yes, yes. So you know, so we could, yeah, we entered the church in August of '05. Just had our 15 year anniversary as Catholics, and uh, was Father you know, Bob still there, or was uh, who was no the Father Bob? I mean, Father Bob came in later for uh, on an interim, you know, kind of thing. He's always he's everybody's interim, you know, in, in retirement. <laughs> He's um, our spirit. Well, he was our pre-COVID spiritual director. We haven't seen him since COVID. Yeah, it's but. A, oh, a great, great priest, great man. Um, I, I'm trying to think of who was the, 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 I think it was, I think Father Danny Schwindeman and um, Father Jacob Curian, I think, were the two priests that were there. They were not pastors at that point. Right. So. so did all the kids come in at the same time? Yes, our four oldest, uh, because a lot of folks, but well, maybe or may not know this. If you're seven years old and up, if you come into communion in the church, then you have to be confirmed, right? Because you're considered an adult, adult. in the faith. A and so, of, our, and a lot of people don't know that. That's yeah. that's true. Oh yeah. So our our fold, four oldest were confirmed, and and then uh, of course we, all all of our children had been baptized as infants because in the Methodist Church we do baptize infants, um, and yeah. So our two sons and our youngest daughter, um, you know, they were they were really young, so they went through the whole process of first communion and confirmation and the rest. And so you you come into the church, and if I've got my math correct, you go right into the job that you have today, the director of yeah. family life. Well, it's, it's interesting. It, um, that would have been a Bishop, Bishop Gaynor, right? Actually, I, 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 we entered the Catholic church on August 13th. I started working for the diocese July 1st. So I was actually employed by the diocese for six weeks before I was fully Catholic. Uh, we had gotten to know, you know, I had reached out to Bishop Gaynor, in like the fall of 04, somebody had recommended that I do that just to tell him our story and see if he had any guidance in terms of vocational sort of things, you know. And he was, of course, you know, Bishop Gaynor, very much a pastor's heart and kind uh, person. And we, we met with it. He met with me and then he came over to our house for dinner and so forth. And so he talked about that. The, the diocese was thinking about a creating a position, the director of family life. They they had had 
that office before, but it was just part-time and it had been closed for a couple of years. So he said, you know, and I, I think when that, when we decide that to open that office again, I would think you might be a, you know, a candidate for that. I can't promise anything, of course. And so uh, we went through all that uh, spring of 05. I had no idea what I was going to do for a living. And, you know, we, the house we lived belonged to the church and, our, my wife was pregnant with our seventh at that point, and um, you, you had to have a lot of trust in God at that point. Uh, it was uh, it was a really a crisis of faith for me um, because yeah, I didn't I didn't know what I was going to do, and I, I kept hitting closed door after a closed door, and um, you know, so I we we got down to. We were. It was the day before we were going to move out of the Methodist parsonage. We had already signed a lease to rent a house that I didn't know how I was going to pay the bill. And um, I called Bishop Gaynor because you know he he it had been a slow process. Nothing moves fast in the church, as you know. <laughs> uh, and so I I just thought I thought I thought I'd call Bishop Gaynor and just see where the you know, where, where the position was and then if they were going to start interviewing or whatever. And I called him the, the day before we were, we were putting stuff in boxes, you know, to move out. I called him and uh, after a couple of minutes, you know, I asked him about the position. He said, oh, I'm so glad you called. He said, because I just was in a meeting earlier today and we've decided that we're going to go a whole, go ahead and, and open the position. And I want to offer you the position. Wow. And uh, yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny because Bishop Gaynor said, you probably want to take some time to pray about this. I said, (laughs) I said, I've got seven kids and no job. (laughs) I said, Bishop Gaynor, I have prayed about it. I accept. (laughs) It's the fastest uh, prayer known to man. Boom. (laughs) Boom. Yeah. So really, uh, I'm, I'm grateful every day for that opportunity because he took a real leap, um, you know, in hiring me. So, so at that point, it was was it just uh, family life at that point? Not evangelization, just family life. Yeah, evangelization got got ad, got added later. Yeah. So, so tell us just a little bit about what your responsibility is. What what that office at the diocese is responsible for? I mean, obviously, we Dallas and I do a lot of stuff with. Uh, with focus, so we know that part of it, pre-marriage sure. counseling and stuff. But uh, tell our listeners kind of what what you do and maybe how you can help them if they need help. Sure, and I and I, and I it's funny because I, I we I talk about what what does my office do? Well, it's it's me. You get to get I, with your people. <laughs> yeah, my people. Yeah. About five of us share a. Uh, share an administrative assistant who's fantastic i mean she's uh, claudia's outstanding but it but it is uh you know we're yeah it's us so <laughs> um when i first started in the position you know, you know i asked bishop can you, you okay so you hired me what do you want me to do and he he really wanted us to strengthen um and develop and evaluate and deepen our process of marriage preparation and that's probably been uh, in terms of the chunk that's take that takes the most of my time over the last fifteen years, because we have, uh, comparatively speaking, we have a, a more rigorous process of marriage preparation than the average diocese. 
And so average uh, Catholic diocese. Yes, yes. Average Catholic diocese. Right. So, um, and so, you know, we have the, we, we, we try to give couples a good understanding of what marriage is, what, why it even exists, how it fits within the Catholic faith, or an understanding of our sexuality, usually really through, through the lens of Pope St. John Paul II's theology of the body. So, you know, because what we felt like was what, what we were doing in marriage preparation was was good, but we, we felt like it was incomplete because the, the, the typical pre-Cana class primarily talked about relationship skills, um, which are important, of course, sure. skills and virtues. But it's also very important to have a, a vision and understanding of what marriage is as a reality. So I would compare it to somebody who's preparing for priesthood or the diaconate or religious life, that it's not, you know, for, for, for a potential priest in seminary, they don't just need to learn about how to do the things that a priest does, which they, they do they do, need to do that. Right? The only thing, right? But they also need to, have a real understanding of what the priesthood is, what it means to be a priest. And so that's kind of the, we, we tried to bring that in to augment what was already being done. And then we also um, ask, ask a, a full course of, for couples of natural family planning so they can kind of have an idea of how to live out this vision of our sexuality and fertility within married life. So, you know, I try, I try to train and develop uh, leaders in parishes. I do some teaching myself, uh, try to coordinate all that stuff. And that, that takes a good bit of time and, and energy. Does, As you does probably the, know that, go ahead. go ahead. I was just wondering, do you have enough focus couples out there? In, you mean in, in facilitators? The, yes. Facilitators, um, no, we could always use more for sure. And um, yeah, focus is for those of you who don't know who what focus is. It's a it's a premarital inventory, not it's, a test. Uh, it's not a test. Not a test. It, not a test. It, it, you remember that well from your training. <laughs> focus uh, is spelled with two C's in the middle. It's not misspelled. It's facilitating open couple communication, understanding, and study. And so, couple, the the individual fiancés respond to about 150 plus different statements, whether they agree, disagree, or uncertain. And then when they complete the survey, which they do online, uh, it generates a report that compares their responses. So they can get a better picture of maybe, you know, where they, where they're particularly strong, maybe some growth areas, um, maybe things that they thought they had discussed, but hadn't really yeah, I like when I like when we get 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 them back, and uh, I see the overall is compatibility is twenty two percent. You're like, oh, this is going to be a long session. Yeah. Well, the, the the exact opposite of that is when it's ninety nine percent. You're yeah. like, okay, you all sat in the same room together. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> and, and so it, I mean, I enjoy it. it. I, I, Kelly and I really, really enjoy it. We've—I don't know if we've had as many couples as you—you you all have had. Not but, even close. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dallas is the go-to guy at the parish, uh, but it—you know—it's it, a fun—it's a fun ministry for us. I, I, we enjoy it. We enjoy meeting the young couples and and 
you know, hearing their stories and, and watching them grow through the process. I mean, that to me, that's that's where we know that focus works is because you can see from the first meeting to the, you know, at second, third, however many you are, by the time you get to the end, they've changed as a couple. So, and I think that's what you want to see, right? That's, you want to see that, that growth. No, no question. And, and for them to, you know, be willing to grapple with things. I mean, if this hasn't happened a lot, but it does happen occasionally where a couple will go through the marriage preparation process and they'll learn, you know what, this we probably shouldn't be doing this. And, you know, um, that's certainly not the aim of what we do, but if that's the case, better to find out now than, you know, and save yourself a lot of heartache that can come later. Yeah. Do you, do you have statistics in the diocese? Do y'all keep statistics of people that don't get married that go through focus? Because I mean, that hasn't happened to us. I don't think anybody, not, yet, not, not to matter our parish, but no, I'm assuming it does I, I, I probably, yeah, I'd say it. I, you know, I I would spitball and say less than five percent. But what about the sister part of this? Does the diocese do much with refocus? Because I think that might be something that we need in our parish. Yeah, I mean, we we um, of course, I I think I took you guys through it with your spouses and your diaconal formation. I believe. Yes, that was, that was um, enlightening. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and, and every focus facilitator has the uh, is certified to do refocus too. So it's always a you know when you're in a diocesan office, it's it's sort of a you, you try to walk that fine line because I mean ultimately ministry best happens in the local parish, right? That's that's really where um, you know we have this understanding of subsistence subsidiar subsidiarity right so um there i mean i what i sometimes you know how about i see my office is is to be a resource to help the local parish any, any support that i can make kind of see see me as somehow an extension of the staff but if there are people in the parish that want to do that sort of thing i'll do anything that i can do to help that happen does that does that happen in, typically in a one on one environment, or does it happen in a gr- group environment? What I mean, because we did obviously we did it at at through the diaconate formation, which is a unique situation. But is that something that's done in a group formation, or would you say that if a parish is going to offer it, they should offer it one on one? No, I think it can be either way. Um, you know, I think usually, I mean, if you're if you're administering refocus. If to a couple who is in real need of some marital healing, probably it should be best done in an individual one or you know two on two circumstance. But if you're doing it as an enrichment, of course, you know you may start at with it being enrichment and find yourself in a crisis. <laughs> we got Houston. We have a problem. <laughs> I mean, when we did focus. I mean, you talk about the 99 percentile. Me and my wife was like 99.9. We got, we didn't, we, we were done. There was nothing to discuss. And we sat back and watched the whole room fight. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. I'm sorry. I was like, <laughs> we did you Dallas, thought you knew your spouse. Well, Dallas, you are, you and Sherry are unique. <laughs> you know, you all were a perfect match. You were born for I each other. I like to think so. <laughs> they never argue. Ever. We never argue. Ever. I, I don't know what to tell you. 
Yeah. Go figure, Mike. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, I know. Crazy. <laughs> Mike, let me ask you, um, when I do focus, and we, we kind of go over the next steps after focus, I try to steer, and it's just my opinion. I wanted to get yours. I try to steer everyone towards the retreat, okay, instead of the other options they have, like the God's plan. I forget I forget what sure. they're called. Uh, which do you prefer of those two options? Do you think is better? And because I just think it's better to be with other other um, uh, mm-hmm. engaged couples. Yeah. So you know we we have these three primary components: the God's plan for a joy filled marriage, the, what we call the married life component, which can be either a sponsor couple or uh, a class at a parish that offers it, like Christ the King or Mary Queen, Seton, and so forth, and natural family planning. In normal times meaning non-pandemic times, we offer a full weekend retreat several times a year so that you could fulfill those first two components, the God's plan and the married life in one weekend. And uh, I like that. I think there, you know, there's a, there's a great deal of uh, benefit of having that dedicated time through a whole weekend. Of course, they get to know the other couples. You, you know them more personally uh, you know, just like anybody who goes on a retreat, there's an opportunity for more lengthy, intentional reflection. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, the retreat. We've kind of had to recalibrate things, not just for the pandemic, because when Cliff Cliffview uh, closed, so we went from having three a year to at least right now we're having two a year. Once we get past the pandemic, there's a Methodist Retreat Center in Essel County that uh, that that we're going to be using. But right now, it's not in person, right? You don't you don't have nothing. Nothing's in person right now, and you know probably won't be until. I mean, I'm assuming probably at least next summer. Yeah, that's that was going to be one of my questions: is has the pandemic affected your ministry? Yeah, I mean, it, we, it, everybody's on a learning curve, of course, and um, you know, using like everybody's got Zoom fatigue. I, I recognize, but man, you look at the numbers in 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 nationwide in Kentucky, it's it's a little bit, you know, it's a little unnerving. Um, and it, it maybe a rut. And it didn't end Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought it was supposed to end after the election. What are you, what are you talking about? You know. I think our positivity rate was like 0.6.7% today or something. But it's going to get better. That's the promise, right? It'll <laughs> get better. It's going to get better. Eventually, hopefully. But, uh, you know, so, and, and we're working on like, so the married life that, that happens, that one of the options is to take a class in a parish. So what we're doing on that is we got a bunch of different leaders of that from different parishes in Lexington. And we're in the middle. We, we just filmed, um, we're using a production company to, we're going to take the presentations and we're going to have them professionally edited and put together. And we'll have couples be able to, rather than sit in a six hour zoom call, they'll be able to do it at their own pace. Um, who doesn't you know, love a six hour, Who doesn't love a six hour Zoom call? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's beautiful. I've got one tomorrow, so yeah, wonderful. Um, but you know, uh, and so and then they'll have they'll meet with with a with a facilitator couple once they finish that, just to you know, kind of break down what they gained from it. I mean, it's. Um, 
as I, as I said to somebody the other day, it's not ideal, but we, we, we tossed ideal out the window some time ago. So yeah, Dallas and I both have had a wedding. I mean, we, I had one probably in the middle of the pandemic, I guess, and you've had one in the last month, yeah, but, about a month uh, ago. you know, it definitely has changed the whole ministry of marriage, not just the prep side, but all the way through to, to the ceremony itself. And it's, uh, I, I, I like the wedding that I did because it was, it was simple. <laughs> you know, there were only 20, I think there were 25 at that point we could have 25 people in, in our church and that's how many people were there. And it, I was actually with a Methodist minister. It was, it was kind of uh, okay. interesting. Uh, but it was, it was great because nobody was on edge. You know how, you know, everybody wants everything to be perfect at a wedding, but here everybody knew it wasn't going to be perfect. We were just, right. we were just trying to make it happen. And everybody, that's what the goal was. We wanted, they loved each other. They didn't want to wait for six months or another year. Let's just make this happen. And everybody was so nice, <laughs> which doesn't always happen at a wedding. And it's, you know, this, this time is tough on, you know, I mean, some marriages have gotten closer through the pandemic and then others have exacerbated some difficulties. And we, we were talking about that before, uh, before you came on, actually just this, my, my current event was the pandemic and the election and that a lot of people have lost their minds in this country and in the state. A lot of our friends, you know, I'm saying, you know, I just, I see people under the stress and the pressure of, of, not being in community with people, not interacting with people in a normal way, that stress that's going on. And, and you know what's happening in the marriages. It's probably a little bit more hidden now than it was before, right? Because mm-hmm. everybody's at home and you, and you don't see it. Uh, you know, it, it, except in mine. Yeah. Except at Dallas. <laughs> they don't argue at all. But, you know, I think it's a, it's a very challenging environment. And, you know, I can't wait for it to be over whenever that's going to be, whenever that's going to happen. You and me, brother, for sure. So, what's one thing that that somebody should know about the f- the 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 family life at the diocese? What's what's one thing that's a hidden treasure or something that people don't know that they should know about the ministry or resources or? Not trying to put you. Well, I mean, you know, we 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 um, of course we try to keep in mind all the different places that people are. You know, we've. We've developed over the last several years a ministry for divorced Catholics. And, you know, people hear that term divorced Catholic and they think that's like uh, jumbo shrimp or something, you know, <laughs> that they don't go together. Right. But, I mean, we all know the church has been impacted by divorce. And, um, you know, how do we help people along that journey toward healing and a lot of misconceptions about what the church teaches and, um, you know, it's it's I mean, the beautiful thing about the Catholic Church is, you know, we, we understand. I mean, it, I remember somebody said to me, well, why in the world would you have a ministry to divorced persons? Because we believe that, you know, the marriage, the marriage is permanent. I said, well, we um, we also know that we're all called to be holy, but we build still build confessionals. <laughs> I mean, well, there's a lot of. I, there, there's there's like a I, lot of brokenness, you know. Yeah, I had an aunt that uh, most of my adult life, she was she got divorced when I was a young young kid, probably I don't know, fourteen fifteen years old. She, she lived in Somerset, moved up to to back to Louisville to live with her mom. And for the whole time I knew her, went to mass every Sunday, 
and never went to communion because she thought she couldn't go to communion. Oh yeah. As a divorced Catholic. So, you know, that, that ministry is important just from an education point of view to, to really educate what the te- the church teaches. So, so many people think they understand it and they don't. And of course, you know, we're re- a real growing edge for me and for several of us at the diocese too has been, you know, it used to be um, in the diocese that we had regarding um, Spanish language ministry. We had a, sort of a a silo set up where you know Hispanic ministry was its own silo, right? And it was separate from all the other offices. And what you know, and really prompted a, a lot by Bishop John, uh, and for good reason. We're we're on that slow journey toward being um, more integrated, so that you know I'm not just the director of family life ministries for the English speaking Catholics of the diocese, but for everybody. Right. So, you know, I've been as best I can learning Spanish. We have some wonderful volunteer couples uh, who, who's, um, whose English is about as good as my Spanish, which not, not, (laughs) but, but, but fluent in their language and, and people who um, think about one particular couple who, whose dedication to the church and to their ministry is um, one of the greatest and most profound commitments that I've ever seen from uh, from a lay volunteer. I mean, just, and that's, you know, that, that's, that's, that's a beautiful thing. And the kind of thing, as you know, it's as uh, in, in leadership in the church, sometimes the, one of the most challenging thing sometimes is to to find people who laity volunteers who will really own a particular ministry and not uh have to be cajoled and pushed and and all that kind of yeah Yeah. to have somebody who who owns it and takes it that's a that's a that's a profound thing it's it's always a good idea until you want them to to be in charge of it or to move it forward. <laughs> Wait a minute. I can't do that. So when you find somebody that does that, that is, that's a good thing that moves on their own. So, and I always like, this is usually the last question I always end up with Mike. Who is a guest we should have on our show? Oh, that's a great question. Um, not, not to put you on the spot. We've had, you know, we've had uh, Lavinia Spirito. Do you know Rocco Pomo? Do you know who he is? The whisper. Oh, yeah. Whispers in the Logia. Yeah. yeah. We, we had, had him on. We had Gus Lloyd on Satellite Radio. and so we've, we've had some good ones. And now we've had the the world famous Mike Allen. Yeah, so world famous. Now, yeah. We're thinking um, about, now we're thinking about quitting because we can't top <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah that's, that, that, that's right. We would like to have uh, you in the studio, it, though. So when the pandemic is over we would like you to come in and cause we can take questions and stuff. And it's just, it's, it's a little bit different, more intimate setting. You know, I, I would, in terms of uh, future guests, I don't know how well, you know, Deacon Eduardo Fortini, who is the coordinator of Hispanic ministry and the diocese. Um, I get his emails all the time, but I can't <laughs> read them. <laughs> he, he is, uh, he is one more, one of the most energetic, passionate, He's from People, Columbia. Isn't he? Is he from Columbia? Uh, no, he is a. He was uh, born and raised in uh, uh, Argentina. Yeah. Well, he early years he was Argentina, and then he was in Genoa, in Italy. I and, love his. Uh, I love know, his accent. 
He, he was. Oh on, yeah. He was on the training session we just had uh, a week or so ago, and I, I'm like, if we needed to cast somebody for the Godfather, he would be perfect. <laughs> well, and he's you know he's been involved with with uh, several others. We've had there. There's been. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail, but um, demonic oppression and possession oh. is a reality, you know. Right. Oh no, no. And he and he has uh, been, you know, involved with uh, le- several situations. Um, What's one of the things? One of the, one of the persons on my list is uh, somebody who is an expert in exorcism. I want to try to find the national leader on exorcisms, and I want to have him show that's my goal. Well, i know there's a there, i know there's a priest in uh, covington that is uh, an official exorcist for the diocese there i know and, they like to uh, keep that secret sometimes they don't like to really talk about it but you know i you know i think it it it's real and you know in today's world sometimes we with a lot of people say that evil doesn't exist or you know there is no hell and you know it does and there is <laughs> so Another to, another guest I would mention too is uh, Jason Hall. I don't know if you know Jason. Oh, I know Hall, Jason well. Yeah, absolutely. Director of the executive of the Catholic Conference of Kentucky. So he'd be a great. That's a that's a great. Both of those are great suggestions, Mike. So I I, I reach out to both of them. I think they both be. Uh, you know, Jason obviously he's he's coming out of his hot season right now. You know, since the election's over. So all the new is it over is it over well it is in, it is in kentucky there's a well, there's a lot not, of, but we pretty much know who won come yeah. on there's a lot of new faces going to frankfurt so it'll be uh it'll be interesting i i'm i'm part of a at work i'm part of a, a lobbying group for our industry and you know the when there's an election that has this many new faces going to frankfurt Mm-hmm. You got to work <laughs> you, they, because people going into Frankfurt don't know a lot of things. They don't know a lot of these issues. They they run because they've got a problem in their district or in their area and, and they want to try to fix that thing. But there's a whole lot more going on. Well, and Jason's, uh, Jason knows more about uh, – has forgotten more about politics than I know. Uh, he, he was kind of – I think I get a sense he was – when he was young, he was like an Alex P. Keaton, you know, from the old Family Ties oh, show. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know he worked in Frankfurt for many years before he became Catholic. So, yeah, great suggestions. Well, Mike, we appreciate your time. We we'll we have a little gift we send you. If you were here, we would give it to you. But I'll send it to you uh, in the mail, and you'll get it because you know we can't see each other during the pandemic. But it's uh, not a Dodger jersey, is it? It is not. It it actually is. A, it's a rosary. It's a what's called a rugged rosary. Oh, uh, wonderful! But it, it was blessed by Tommy Lasorda. Tommy Lasorda. <laughs> I, I actually, I actually. You know who the one of the the biggest uh, who was Catholic about Catholic that. Dodger fans there there is is Vince Gully. I mean he's a he's a night. Oh yeah, us. you know he's. It's sad. It's sad that he. <laughs> it's sad that he stepped down. Uh, you know oh. and wasn't able to call the games this year. What a what a good guy and you know what you know not a ministry but a lifelong desire or lifelong dedication to a team for sure. So I, I am a little disappointed at. Uh, Father Lynn wasn't on here too. I mean that we well, always we, spices things up a that, little bit. We had a restraining order against him. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that maybe was, the Fs. I, I threw in some different names to protect the innocent, but he was the one really. <laughs> he is, maybe uh, the maybe the the FCC <laughs> cracked down on you a little bit. Yeah. Well, he's usually here. He he had a uh, tooth. A tooth. 
he had a tooth emergency tooth extraction or something. So uh, he, oh, he, mercy. Can't, he can't talk. Imagine that. Imagine that. Yes. <laughs> so he can type very well. We've we've been in contact <laughs> via text. But uh, next time when you come in the studio, he will be here. And, you know, as long as it's in the next couple of years while he's still assigned here to our parish. So, you know, he's been here for 14 years, 13 years, however long. Oh, yeah, he's, re- he's on extended play. <laughs> Well, I look forward to the pandemic being over and uh, be, be happy and be there and throw back a cool one with you guys. All right. Well, Mike, we appreciate it and uh, have a blessed day and we will see you soon. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Mike Allen. God bless us. There you go. Boom. Mike Allen. Good show. He's, he's a good guy. Is there a saint of the day? There is a saint of the day. Is Steve ready for the saint of the day? Who is it today? Who's the saint of the day? The saint of the day. Saint Nicholas Tavalik and companions. I'm going to have to learn a little bit about this because I haven't heard this one before, but here is the saint of the day. This is Franciscan Media's saint of the day for November 6th. Today we celebrate Saint Nicholas Tavalich and companions. Today's saint and his three companions are among the 158 Franciscans to have been martyred in the Holy Land since the friars became custodians of the shrines and holy places in 1335. Nicholas was born in 1340 to a wealthy noble family in Croatia. He joined the Franciscans and was sent to preach in Bosnia. In 1384, he and a fellow friar volunteered to serve in the Holy Land missions. Their duties included looking after the holy places, caring for the Christian pilgrims, and studying Arabic. In 1391, Nicholas and three other friars decided to take a more direct approach to converting the Muslim population. Reading from a prepared statement in Jerusalem's Mosque of Omar, they stated that all people must accept the gospel of Jesus. When the mosque official ordered them to retract the statement, they refused. After beatings and imprisonment, the friars were beheaded before a large crowd. In 1970, Nicholas Tavlich and his companions became the first Franciscans martyred in the Holy Land to be canonized. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. St. Nicholas Tavlich, another Franciscan. Franciscan Media really likes Franciscan saints. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Hey, next week we're working on some things. Uh, look, possibly getting somebody from Stephen's ministry to come talk about what that ministry is all about. It's a ministry that's been in our parish, I think, a little bit over a couple years now. Um, or we might just talk about, depending on what Father Lynn's got up his sleeve, maybe some some Catholic topics. We talked about Reformation and Counter-Reformation, Just War Theory. Those were some things we've had on the list. We just need to get them off my list. So anyway, next week, tune in. Uh, never know who we might have on. We might have Jason Hall. Who knows? Deacon Eduardo Fortini. So thanks to Mike Allen. If you've got a suggestion for a topic or a guest, let us know. Uh, if you're not following us on social media, you should be. If you found us, click the like button. Click the subscribe button if you're on YouTube or if you're on podcast listening to us on iHeartRadio or Spotify Amazon podcast, whatever you're listening to us on, subscribe, like us. And if you want to support the ministry, ssfj.org, 
That's ssfj.org, stfrancisandjohn.org, where you can support all the ministries with a click of a button, which is the way to do it during the pandemic. Don't have to worry about touching and passing money. Can't wait to hear the study about how money passes COVID to person people. So anyway, most important, tell your friends, give us a listen. We thank you for being here. Dallas, can you give us a blessing and send us on our way? I sure can. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with everyone here in the studio and everyone out there listening. And may Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, until next week, I'm Deacon Tim Stout. I'm Deacon Dallas Kelly. Father Lynn will be back next time. Good night, everybody. Did you ever stop and think why spend too much time just getting ready? Let me be honest. I don't know a single thing that I haven't done to make you notice me. Let me be real here. When I see you, my heart stops.